With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the Acast app or wherever you get podcasts. And hello everyone, welcome to a very wet and windy Monday um, for yet another podcast with mine host Neil Cameron, we've got Mark Douglas and young Andrew Fowler with us, Lee Ryder not here today, he's got a one match suspension. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And gentlemen, we were a bit pessimistic, or more than a bit pessimistic on Friday um, before we all headed down to South Wales. A point is a point. It wasn't a brilliant performance. It was, to use a well-known uh, cliché, battling performance, Mark. Uh, I try to avoid these things, but sometimes they are unavoidable. They're still in trouble. They're still not a great team. However, what I took away from it, apart from it was a positive result, is they showed a bit of spirit. They made a lot more chances, and by the end, they wouldn't have deserved it, but they could have nicked it. So I felt it was a move forward. Not a great leap forward, but a move forward. Yeah, I think when you actually look at where Swansea are in the league, I mean, they could have been blown away at various points in that game, I thought. And um, yeah, I think Newcastle is, I mean, is the signs of progress there? Yes, there are. But by the same token, are there still huge problems to, to address? Yes, there are as well. Um, it's now become a, a scrap, hasn't it? So, you know, we, we're kind of almost putting aside some of these Alan Pardew issues because we're just saying, yeah. looking at the league and looking at where they are, it's probably going to be a relegation mm. battle this year, at least until Christmas they're going to be trying to get themselves out of this. So you just have to take the positives. And I think the piece that you wrote on um, Sunday, Neil, where you said, um, you know, look, look, it's a point. And, and we've just got, sometimes we've just got to forget everything else mm. because it's a point and it's a point in a difficult place to go. Andy, uh, it wasn't as Jamar just said, not just a point, but they went behind twice. Uh, I must confess, when the second goal went in, Routledge, who was terrific. Um, I didn't see anything other than a home win. But fair's fair. Uh, Pardew got his substitutions right. Sammy Amiwoi was terrific when he got on. One or two others made a difference. Uh, and, you know, that again, they did show, as the manager said, great character. Yeah, they did. And funnily enough, we've, we've, we've spoken in the office that for all sort of Pardew's flaws and tactical ineptitude if that's what you'd like to call it actually that's what you'd like to call way. it that's a, don't, don't never ever ever say we when you're making your own point and but actually when he's made changes uh, Mark's mentioned it a few times the changes have been right, the right ones and, and they came they certainly they, well at the weekend exactly um, but 
one thing we spoke about before was the delivery in, into the box. True. Get balls into the box. They don't have to be fantastic worldy balls every time, but what they do is you put the confusion. And what did Cissé do? Especially if like, he gets in front of his marker and he picks it home. It doesn't have to be scoring wonder goals from outside the box, but that's what it was. They got some more of the basics right. And balls in the box, strikers in the box, and hopefully a few more goals to come. Uh, Cissé scored four goals last season, Mark. That's four goals already. I've watched his first... Maybe a dozen times. I'm still not quite sure how it did. To nick a line from Lee, I actually said it was reminiscent of Andy Cohn. I knew exactly what he was talking about. It was a terrific goal, actually, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, and I think I think this has been the, the, the really positive, the one massive positive of the, this first chunk of the season is Papi Cissé. And, mm. and uh, I mean, he looks like the player that they signed. Mm. First of all, I'm certainly not far from it. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, I mean, you know, I think probably that kind of those wonder goals were always going to be a sort of like. A bit of a mirage, really. I don't think Newcastle ever thought that those bent, those bending yeah. volleys and all those kind of goals that he was scoring were what he was about. But he was about put the ball in the box when he doesn't have time to think. He tends to those finishes come from Cisse, and uh, yeah, I mean that's going to be the one thing that's really going to keep Newcastle as Newcastle's heads above water at least until January when they, hopefully they can address some of the problems and some of the, the issues that they created themselves with the uh, the way they ended the transfer window if Cissé keeps scoring Newcastle are going to still be in touch and possibly out of that relegation so by the time January comes around when they're going to have to address the, some of the big problems The interesting thing is when Cissé signed and he scored all those wonder goals it was, it was fantastic it was, it was great the Chelsea got all that but actually, Newcastle fans wanted a striker who is doing what Cissé is doing at the moment, which is finishing off in the six-yard mm. box because you're not going to score fantastic goals all the time. I don't care if it comes off your hip, your thigh, your leg, whatever, as long as it goes in the back of the net. And that's what Cissé is doing. I mean, last season, there was a lot of Remy here and he was a player that could score a goal on his own. He scored a few like that. Cissé is not that type of player, Mark. He needs, as I think we've, we've actually mentioned it on Friday, didn't we? And we're mentioning it again. Good delivery, good crosses, which he which he did get what we don't want to see and what has happened far too often since that initial flurry of his incredible goals is Papa Cissé playing 45 yards oh. away from goal with his back to goal looking to lay it off yeah. because as talented as that ain't his game no I think that was that was always the one thing that you thought about Cissé last year if there was any criticism of him it is that he is a little bit one-dimensional in that he's not a complete striker. You haven't signed, Newcastle have not signed in, in Papu Cissé, a striker who's maybe you know, able to kind of play these different games. And, and you're really good strikers, you're really top, top-class strikers, can probably play 45 minutes like, like that. Cissé's not that kind of player. And the problem is that Newcastle, ironically, have sold any players that they really had who had that width. So there's no Ben Arthur now, there's no Marvo. Um, we've got Obertan and Amiobi, who I thought, Amiobi in particular on Saturday was phenomenal. That ball that he played in was terrific. That's his best performance for Newcastle, wasn't it? Yeah. I know it was only 25 In a big minutes, game as well. I, I, th- I was actually sitting right, but see the cross for the set, I was sitting with the oh, press boxes at the Liberty. I was right and I thought, he's really picked him out. I thought it was a terrific bit of skill, terrific bit of awareness. But again, Cece will make those runs all mm. day. And as I'm writing a piece for tomorrow's paper, the greatest football players in the Gert Muller, Lionel Messi, even Cristiano Ronaldo scored his 14th hat trick yeah. for Real Madrid or something ridiculous like that. Great players, and they'll maybe be able to do something on their own, but they heavy rely heavily on their, their passing of the teammates, and CC certainly does that. He got it on Saturday. If he gets it next week, uh, or week on Saturday against Leicester, 
chances had he scored a goal. Yeah, and, and that's the the big the big thing with Cisse. I think is is confidence. It's this. I think he plays off the cuff. I think he's always played off the cuff. I don't think he's somebody who is necessarily got the kind of football brain that you see somebody like Wayne Rooney who makes the runs, does those kind of things. I think Cisse plays off the cuff. Very instinctive, massively yeah. instinctive. Yeah, and I think that a lot of. I mean, I remember way, back when we were allowed to talk to the to the players. It seems like about twenty six. Does seem like a hell of a long time ago. I actually asked him, you know, what was how did you where did you think of that volley against yeah. Chelsea and he sort of said oh, I didn't I didn't think and, and it, it, made, it didn't make for a very good copy I must say <laughs> but I thought it was quite insightful really because it was like well, I, I thought didn't it was actually, one of your better yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was I think you actually uh, yeah I, I, you can still find it if, uh, if, uh, if any of the listeners would like to uh, I, I can send them a, a postal copy I don't yeah. think we sold many copies that day unsurprisingly but yeah it did, it did just say look he doesn't think about the game he's not a kind of one of these guys who thinks about it you just Putting the ball in there, and he and he just almost knows what to do. It's like muscle memory, if you will, and and he's great to watch when he's like that. Yeah, he is. Mm. Yeah, he is. Andy, mm. at the other end of the park, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the defence because I'm sure we'll have another podcast this week. We can have a go at them because we had a bit of a go, and rightly so, because Newcastle United at the moment need to score two goals just to get a point, yeah. and and no team who does that is going to do yeah. much, to be honest. However, Tim Cruel, who I've got a lot of time for, and I've been critical of him this season because I think his talking's been wrong. I think. There's been too many mistakes, and some he's certainly been partially to blame for. He made two outstanding saves, one at 1-0 from Bonnie, which mm. maybe you'd expect him to say, but I think it was a terrific save. And then at 2-1, when Bonnie hits the first time, he gets it down low, his left hand side. So once he scored that, yeah. they're winning 4 or 5 one, actually. That's well, how big a moment it was. I think, I think Pardew's called it one of his, his, top, his best ever saves for Newcastle. And, and he, you know, he might go on to make technically better saves, but how important mm. is it for the morale of the team? And you need, you need somebody like that. You know, you, the Tottenham performance last year when they get battered, but they still win 1-0 and Tim Crawls and Apps. You don't need those games every time, but what you need is your solid keeper who, when everything else is crumbling around him, he is the constant. And he has, you're right, he's, he's not had as good a season and he, he, you've rightly been critical of him. However, when the, when the big moments come, he makes a key, crucial save and one point against Swansea is a world away from... 3-1, 4-1 defeat, and we're talking about does Alan Pardew leave? Because that's what that's uh, the yeah. other that's the other side of it as well. Um, and they've come from behind. He's needed to make a big save, and he's he's pulled it out of the bag because I, I think he I think he is a, a really good keeper. He's not had the season that we've looked he at. Hasn't, he hasn't made many saves. So no, far, he, but, has, but, but he that, hasn't. But, but that but that was absolutely terrific. Yeah. That, as a matter of fact, Pardew was he had a smile on his face in the press conference when he was asked by one of the national. Uh, journalist essentially you know you're looking forward to a quiet fortnight and he says there never is such a thing in Newcastle United it's probably a bit of an exaggeration to be honest but he could it's good that he's getting a break I think it's good everyone's getting a break and we can all calm down and reassess what's happening before the next game at Leicester Mark Hmm. yeah I think I think the the problem is with, with this situation, and one of the reasons why we say his job's untenable is not because we think he's absolutely useless at his job, because he you know, clearly has some positives about, about the way that he's operating. It's, it's the fact that there were only ever maybe one defeat or, or you know, a little bit of a bad run away from being back in that position. And that's, a football club can't operate well that way, and that, that's the problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Mike Ashley, to, <laughs> to, be, to be fair to him, through however he's decided to brief people and however he's decided to kind of do this, has kind of made this Pardew thing an irrelevance for this week because they've made it very clear um, without actually kind of giving any reasons, which is, which is ridiculous in itself, that they're not going to sack Alan Pardew unless, unless it gets to the point where they're pretty certain that they're going to go down if he's still manager. 
Um, so yeah, I think it is good. I think it's good for all of us to maybe get a bit of um, to get a bit of perspective on what's going on. But I still, I still think, and it's not a reflection. It, despite what some people might say on Twitter, and despite what maybe Pardew himself thinks, it's not a witch hunt against one man. It's a reflection on a si- on a situation which is untenable for Newcastle United because. You know, when they went 1-0 behind on Saturday, the fans are chanting yeah. about Pardew. You know, they lose against Leicester or, or it doesn't go the way against Leicester. We're going to be right back in that position. You can't have a football club that operates under this kind of scrutiny. And that's why his job was untenable at the end of last year. That's why it was untenable after the, um, after the Stoke game. And, and that is the problem. He might, there might be a bounce. They might get a few points, but it's going to require 10, 15 games of really good performances and really good results for Alan Pardew to, to, to catch a break. It's not one point against Swansea. No, I, I think Saturday may have been a break, though. I hate saying luck in football because luck plays very little to mm. do in football. You know, the best players aren't good because no. they're lucky, and those who aren't so good isn't, isn't because they're unlucky. However, you, you just sometimes in a season, there are one, two, three, four, five moments when things kind of change. And I, I was in the in the press room after the match, and the local journalists, the Welsh journalists, were looking at each other, shaking their heads, saying, "How how did we how did we not win that?" And I can actually listen. I'm not going to be pretend. I know we're always a bit biased when it comes to Newcastle United, but once they played better. Sometimes that kind of I'm just going to use the word battling again. I'm trying not to, but there you go. That kind of point you can't you, you wouldn't have seen it coming from mm-hmm. that kind of performance. You didn't see it, Mark. That's almost as good as a win sometimes because as Pardew said himself. A lot of the players will come out of this match feeling more confident than they went into it. Yeah, I mean, it was a great point, wasn't it? When you when you actually yeah. consider everything that Newcastle have been through, how badly they played for the first sort of thirty five minutes, um, which, which which was poor. But yeah, I can certainly see that. That you know, but we have been at this crossroads before. We thought that maybe Palace and the way that they battled back against Hull might have been the turning point because Newcastle they have a bit of confidence mm. really going into the next game there. Uh, they went to Stoke and really didn't didn't perform. The question is whether the performance. I think what possibly changes this, what possibly changes this for Newcastle this time is that you've actually got a, a formation, I think, and a kind of system that they ended the game with there that will work at home. Four three three. Yeah, and mm. I do like. If look, I'm not saying in any way that Obertan and Sami Amiobi are going to necessarily be the future for Newcastle United. They're not going to. Possibly shoulder the burden, but it, you know you have they periods. Be the next game, though, shouldn't they? Definitely, yeah. and you have periods in the season where you know you probably look back in May and say, "I can't believe it, Sammy Amiobi was mm. starting a game for Newcastle." But there's a reason why, and and I think that that's the thing that I like. I like the fact that they could go in with a four-three-three against Leicester, who Leicester have started the season well, but they're brittle as well. They've conceded a lot of goals, conceded two against Burnley on Saturday, conceded three against Manchester United, Manchester United as well. Which you know, look, look they, they can concede. You know, they yeah, they haven't yeah. got the best of defenses. So I can actually see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, and I could definitely see Newcastle winning against Leicester, and that would be a massive, massive thing because they've got a real run of games coming in then, and then you look at maybe we were talking about earlier. November, December periods yeah. when you'd say Newcastle need to win those games. But yeah, I do see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and it's and not a train play. coming towards us, we hope. No. <laughs> I mean, the one I always... Uh, listen, we, we talk about the derby a lot. It's in December the 20th. It's five yeah. days before Christmas. Though it, It'll come to us quick enough. And you look at the run of games, because there's some serious big tier. There's Chelsea, they're still to play, yeah. who just look phenomenal at the moment. And, and one, I think, Arsenal as well. Liverpool, one or two others. And I think if we get to December the 20th and they're in an okay sort of position going into the derby, I think 
they'll, they'll be over the worst. I think they'll be over the worst. However, as you say, it's, it's a, there's lots of tests to mm. come. Isn't it? We'll talk about Leicester more next week. But um, a point at Swansea, gentlemen, that was all right. It's miles, but and the performance wasn't great. Mm. However, I think anyone would. I think Alan Pardew would have taken <laughs> that before, before oh, that man. match, wouldn't he have? Undoubtedly. I mean, I think the, you know... I, I will give uh, I will give Alan Pardew credit. He's a fighter, you know. I mean, and not just not just on the pitch, as we've seen. Um, you know, I mean, it must take incredible resolve to come through what what he's come through. And you know, I know that that won't make me popular with a lot of the listeners here who who, who have made their mind up on, on Alan Pardew. As I said, I think he should probably go as well. I've, I've mm. kind of made that pretty clear. But you know, I mean, fair play. And you cannot say that the dressing room aren't, aren't fighting for the manager either, which is another positive. So I, I do think, I mean, I always thought that Newcastle would have enough to get themselves out of the real dire relegation battle. But there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And that's, that's the worry, isn't it? But, but we kind of like, we're looking for little signs, aren't we? We've been looking for little mm. signs all, all season so far. And, but this one does feel a little bit different, you know. Crystal Palace, I kind of thought, well, you know, that gives me a bit of confidence, but it was a Crystal Palace B-side. This was a Swansea, a good Swansea team that played really well on the day, that are doing very well, that have the wind in their sails. Newcastle came up with a decent end to that game. I think, you know, it's sort of set up now for the, for the international break. Go away, have that. Um, you know, come back. And, and, and the, you know, it's funny, just the final thing that I will say, like, I think... You know, we all talk. We talk about kind of like these runs of games and things. The, the key time for Newcastle is they need to get through to a position where they're still in touch, and Semdi Young comes back because yeah, I think yeah. he is the key to this. That is the reason why they're struggling because they put they gambled the house on Semdi Young and he got injured very early before, and they they set up a whole system around Semdi Young, which doesn't work without him. And they've now sort of I think stumbled upon an alternative. And if they can get to the point where Semdi Young comes back injured and he's in any kind of shape, Newcastle are going to be okay because I really do think he's that good. I tell you something, and just before we wrap up, there's a few players away in international duty. They can't really afford anyone come back limping, can't they? Not? No. Well, they just mentioned Sim De Jong, um, Jan Mats uh, out of the uh, the Netherlands squad. Not a bad thing, I don't think, from no. Newcastle's point of view. No, I mean that's that's the thing. You almost you just need to wrap them in cotton wool at the moment because they they need everybody fit. They're, they're struggling, and like Mark said, they need to get to a point where they're getting players back. And if they can hobble there, however they get there, they need to get to a point where they've got a full squad and then you can see right oh that's what we said at the beginning of the year let's just see what this Newcastle squad's about when everyone's in everybody's fit Cissé's still not 100% fit you know fully match fit we need these players back Ryan Taylor's coming back into the fold at some point does he play a part in any of this David Santon I've even sort of forgotten David Santon yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely so there, there, there are a number of players um, they cannot they cannot afford any more um, people with, uh, with knocks yeah Folks, thanks for listening in. Look, it's not all doom and gloom. It is not all doom and gloom. Newcastle United are still alive and breathing. We'll talk to you later on. Thanks very much for your time. Hi, it's Finn Dwyer from the Irish History Podcast. And this is a Staycast from Acast. Please, please, please follow the government's advice right now, which is currently to stay at home where possible. While you're staying at home, I would recommend another great show that's worth checking out. It's Unexplained by Richard McLean Smith. It's a beautifully produced and gripping show that looks at unusual and sometimes unnerving occurrences from the past and present. It's perfect escapism. Check out Unexplained on the ACAST app 
or wherever you get podcasts.